Good morning. If you would turn to Psalm chapter 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, we need you this morning, tomorrow morning, and every morning hereafter until we, your children, are gathered at your feet. Beholding you face to face. Lord, we grown in this world. But Lord, we eagerly long and look forward to beholding you face to face. God, would you be glorified this morning through the preaching of your word? Would you be glorified in how we respond to it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a simple question. Have you grown weary over these last few years? Through the isolation, fear, and tragedy brought about by COVID? The religious worship of all things related to politics? The soaring inflation? On everything from gasoline and groceries and two-by-fours to the sexual revolution and all that it continues to bring to the forefronts of this life. I think on many levels, we would all say we're a little tired. On a physical level, I have learned through the years that when I'm tired, I need to rest. Because when I'm tired, I don't trust Bad Brian. Bad Brian makes poor choices. 
The same is true on a spiritual level. On long trips, road trips, vacation, maybe to the beach. If I'm driving, I check the gauges, tire pressure, oil level. And when I say I check it, I mean I pay someone to check it. But you get the point. I'm cautious of those things. Long journeys require attention to be paid to certain areas of the vehicle. I've never climbed in my truck before taking off and been like, is that bumper? Is it things good there? Because that's never important for where I'm going. But I have noticed dashboard of my truck lighting up like a Christmas tree, flashing up things like low oil pressure or low fuel or you need some air in your tires. And as I think about the last few years, the dashboards of our lives have been lighting up, I think, pretty significantly because we're fatigued. And with fatigue, the temptation is to grumble in your hearts and with your lips. I personally have been a little shell-shocked in recent years by how rapid spiritual decay of culture has seemed. But I've been just as unpleasantly surprised by the response so many believers I know have had toward this decay. And I've been unpleasantly surprised at the places my heart has wanted to travel in response to the decay of our culture. Many of us are concerned about this new one-lane bypass causing problems. I'm concerned about it. I traveled it to get here. Our city is growing more than ever, and our roads are shrinking in half. <clears throat> and while that's true, spiritually speaking, there are far more issues brought about by what is taking place in our hearts. I've noticed far more issues brought about by an intense awareness of the depravity of man. There are deep ditches associated with spiritual drift and despair and isolation and anxiety and anger and apathy and bitterness and hard-heartedness. Those are heart issues and they're quick to develop if you're not watchful. Those ditches can make a low fuel light seem like a chipped windshield. Driving in those ditches for any length of period of time can have devastating results for your soul, your relationships, and your witness. My heart has done its fair share of grumbling over the last several years as culture secularizes at light speed and the most basic Christian tenets seem ever more detached from mainstream American culture. And so at the beginning of the year, the Holy Spirit brought conviction in my life to do something about all those lights flashing, all of those heart issues that were showing up. And my simple prayer was, and continues to be, Lord, I need you. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel bitter. 
I don't want to feel like I need to isolate myself. I don't want to be angry. And I've prayed, Lord, I want your voice, your voice, Lord, to be the loudest voice I hear. Help me to be disciplined, to meditate on your word day after day after day. And so by God's grace, that has been good for my soul. Perhaps the rapidly secularizing America that we live in. Perhaps it has been good for your soul. I hope that it has. Perhaps it has caused you to pray more. Perhaps it has caused you to study God's word more. Perhaps it has given you opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ more. Praise the Lord if that is true for you. I'm so thankful for my community group. We have community groups resuming in just a short time. I'm encouraged by the weekly prayer requests heard there for the Holy Spirit to use gospel conversations with friends, with co-workers, with family members, that they might be saved. My group has even been blessed to see Anna and Ethan and Lauren and the Clarities, who sadly weren't in my community group, probably, probably there's some, some heartache there, but, but they've answered the call to take the gospel to the unreached peoples of Central Asia. A former seminary professor of mine pointed out wisely, I think, that the older generation of believers here in America could assume that the culture resonated with the same values and principles as they did. By and large, America was at least Christian-ish. But it's clear America is no longer Christian-ish. And as many wonderful Christian bright thinkers have recently pointed out, this is perhaps counterintuitively both good for the church and good for the church's engagement with the outside world. The scandal of Christianity is increasingly right up front, exactly where it was in the first century. The shaking of American culture will get us back, one theologian noted, to the question Jesus asked of his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, Who do you say that I am? The fact that you are gathered here this very morning with the people of God is evidence that you have already decided to walk out of step with culture. As one pastor put it, you've already embraced strangeness by spending Sunday morning at church rather than in bed or at brunch. And for some of you, I know, being here this morning meant coming home early from vacation. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by all of you. We need each other. The title of this sermon is, How Should We Respond to Spiritual Decay? We can glean two very clear ways from Psalm 12 for how we are to respond to the chaos brought about by man's depravity. David's example in Psalm 12 stands to give us clear direction for the road we must travel as believers as we respond to the sin celebrated in our culture today. 
But David's response is not the only one we will see in our text this morning. We will see the reply of the Lord to the cry of the poor and needy. His sovereign response will give us certain hope until we're at home in heaven. These two truths should serve as anchors for our souls in troubled times. In times of spiritual decay, the believer in Christ must respond as David responds by crying out in prayer, asking the Lord to act. Look with me in your text at verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Like a child that recognizes wrong. David laments what he sees to his father. David is lamenting the spiritual decay he sees all around him. Just as I mentioned earlier, I have been guilty of lamenting spiritual decay, but oftentimes my lament never reaches heaven. It might reach a brother. It might reach someone in the grocery store aisle. But my lamenting rarely has reached heaven like it should. David's lament had direction. It had purpose. It was directed to his God and its purpose was to see the Lord protect the weak and punish the wicked. David wasn't complaining as if he were being inconvenienced. He wasn't upset that his comforts were perhaps being trampled upon. He wasn't griping. He was groaning. But those two are different. As believers, we must ask ourselves, are we bothered like David by the condition of our culture? Tell your father. Cry out to him like David. This humble act of crying to the Lord for help is acknowledgement of where our help and where our hope comes from. It doesn't come from the person occupying the White House. It doesn't come from the number of Supreme Court justices that you most readily are excited by. When things seem unstable, what you need is an anchor for your soul. What I need is an anchor for my soul, or I will fall off into the ditch of anger and despair and worry. What better anchor is there than to know that the king's reign is a sovereign reign? He's not up for election. He is always in residence. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is never far removed. He is never too busy. He has not lost interest in his creation. He is always available to his children who are objects of his delight. When help us, O Lord, is the cry of your heart, then you can be encouraged that the rest of your soul is not far off. David is not retreating with this prayer. David is on the offense. 
David's call for help is an imperative that conveys the urgency of the petition. Who calls for help outside of desiring that help come quickly? I've never cried for help and been like, but take your time. The emergency for David is seen there in verse 1. Save, O Lord. Help, O Lord. For the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Nobody faithful remains, Lord. I look around and liars and deceivers are everywhere. David says. Verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? David's cry is for the Lord to wipe out those who flatter and boast. The big talkers who use smooth words, who manipulate others, who take pleasure in deceiving others to get their way with little or no regard for the well-being of others. Lord, close the mouths of those who bring destruction. Cut them off. The godless around David believe they can say whatever, do whatever, to whomever, And in their minds, they think they answer to no one. And these are defining marks of a society in spiritual decay. When character is lost and when words become cheap. And when people don't matter. Psalm 12 was written around 2300 years ago. But notice how nothing has changed. On one level, that brings us a little comfort. Have you ever thought about the fact that the present times appear always, it seems, to be especially dangerous because they're nearest to our anxious gaze and whatever evil exists today appears to be more prominent than the evils that existed yesterday? There's a tendency to think of a certain time and place in the past where things were good, but I was around in 1989. Things seemed pretty good. They weren't good. I was just naive of a lot of it. 1958 was wicked. Every year has been wicked. In fact, have you ever started that Bible plan right there in Genesis? Have you ever opened up to page one? Maybe you're like, no, I'm just going to do one page a day. Just, I'm going to knock out one page. I'm going to grind it out. Let's give this a shot. And you're on page one, and man, it's awesome. I mean, the creation story, he speaks everything into existence. Just, the, just by the word of his power, wow. Almighty God the Father in perfect harmony with God the Son and God the Spirit, speaking creation into existence. That's incredible. And it's neat to go, wow, he created light. He created earth. He created the sun and moon and hung up all the stars. He creates every living thing and creature of the sea. And then he creates man in his image. And he creates male 
and female in his image. And behold, he says it is great. And you go to bed being like, man, Bible reading. I'm not like this Bible reading. And then you flip over to page two and you read chapter two. All of it's good. And you get to page three, chapter three of Genesis. And you go, what has happened? Right there in the third chapter of Genesis, we see that in spite of Adam and Eve having the Garden of Eden, and even more, the Lord God in their midst, giving them dominion over his good creation, giving them direction and boundaries for this life, for their good, they turn to a serpent in Satan. And immediately they take their, their gaze off the Lord. And they fall for the lying lips of a jealous fork-tongued serpent who can only sow doubt and boast of worldly wisdom that leads to hell. And right there, right there in chapter 3, right there in the garden, Satan plunders his neighbor. And Adam and Eve buy the lies. They take the ditch. And talk about a ditch that was. In reality, their sin created a great divide between them and their holy God. And so unless, if you're looking, thinking, man, back in the day, unless you're talking about back in the day of chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, then you won't find a period of time since where things were decent and good. Hence the need for David's prayer in the 12th Psalm. 2,300 years ago. I know these days can seem particularly dark. I believe they are. But do, do you know that this was promised to us long ago? Trials and tribulations and persecution. We, we know the world is not, like it's not improving. It didn't start off good and then, yeah, we're going to go bad, but hey, it's going to get better. That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. Jesus warned his disciples in John's gospel, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So the spiritual decay around us brothers and sisters, should not surprise us. But our overconsumption of moral decay can certainly desensitize us and overwhelm us and cause us to veer off into ditches unknown. Wickedness cannot be binge-watched. It is not the latest Netflix special. If your Facebook posts are often illuminating for your followers, the latest Sin 6 story coming out of Washington or some local school board council meeting in California, then you're not serving your brother or sister in Christ. Even worse, how are your posts and comments being viewed by your unbelieving friend who knows that you proclaim Christ as Lord I would ask you is your TV 
constantly on to the news at home? Are you constantly scrolling through social media? Is the moral decay around us a common topic of conversation around your house or your dinner table? More so than it's lamented in prayer to the Lord. I'm guilty for a lot of that. It's been written and it seems true of this present age and even among believers that those who most politically that those who are most politically conscious are those who are also most anxious, the most fearful. Have you ever considered that? The idol of politics promises a feeling of control over this intimidating world. In reality, though, it amplifies fear by keeping our eyes off of the sovereign ruler of history. Your Twitter feed, I don't know if y'all know this, your Twitter feed revealeth what your heart loveth. Now that's King James. The things your heart is gravitating to, social media understands better than you do sometimes. They make their advertising dollars on your retweets and likes, and so the harder they work, giving you the things that grab your attention. They say, here, have another. Wow, would you look at this? Can you believe what they said? Can you believe they're letting this happen? Can you believe that politician did that? What kind of world am I living in? And with every story, your heart is in jeopardy of running off into the ditch, hardening your heart. Your witness is in jeopardy of being silenced. Your mind is in jeopardy of being anxious. And your anger is in jeopardy of giving Satan the foothold that he so desperately desires in your life. There is no cultural climate that overtakes our commandment to love. I love how one brother said it. We can convince ourselves that times are so dire that love can be set to the side to make sure our side wins. Brothers and sisters, if we would be like Jesus... If we would be like Jesus, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, name whatever others you've ever heard of, all of social media of all kinds cannot be the primary or secondary or third string or fourth string or any string source of your discipleship. And I think here is the crux of the matter. That we have our eyes fixed on the sins of our neighbors. More so than we have our eyes fixed to the glory of our God. This has become boring. That's the lie of Satan. Ask yourself, brothers and sisters, how well do I know him?
How focused am I on His Word? Paul reminds the church in Ephesus, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The best use of your time is not spent scrolling. It will not be best spent scoffing. Men who know their God, J.I. Packer says, are before anything else men who pray and the first point where their zeal and energy for God's glory come to expression is in their prayers. Brothers and sisters, our time is not best served studying culture as if we're to earn a Ph.D. in current wicked events or teaching a Facebook Live class on current examples of American depravity. But please don't understand me. I am not saying do not be uninformed. I'm not saying be uninformed. I'm not encouraging apathy towards knowing society. I'm not wanting you to retreat and create a bubble or commune to live lives of isolation. I'm not asking you to refrain from speaking out and acting upon and calling to repentance those whom you see committing sin and leaders who lead in ungodly ways. So feel free to expose. But weep. Expose, but pray. Let the spiritual decay around you move your hearts today toward the Lord in prayer so that your heart can remain soft toward others. Expose. But as John Piper so helpfully explains, don't grovel in the mire. Even in the name of mocking the mire, some people think they're justified in lingering in the mire by spending a lot of time finding clever ways to put it down. Expose, but then return quickly to the clean, clear, holy, happy air of the mountains of, of Christ. Just as Lance spoke of earlier, I look up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes. Do not make a hobby out of exposing the wickedness of culture. Perhaps you don't own a computer. Great. Probably better off. Maybe you've never seen Twitter, heard of Twitter. Praise the Lord. But how are your thoughts on today's culture? Do things seem okay to you? Do you sense the decay of character at every turn? Would you commit to making your lament directed to the Lord rather than complaining, wishing things were different? I can promise you society doesn't care about your wishes. Make it a habit of turning to the Lord in prayer like David. Be like the psalmist whose eyes shed streams of tears because the people do not keep your law. And as your eyes stream tears over man's rebellion against God and hatred of his neighbor, be reminded that such were some of you. 
Let your heart overflow with thanksgiving for God's grace that was poured out on you because you couldn't keep the law either. And rather than crush you, he offered you an advocate. He made a great exchange. His only son, Jesus Christ, took your sin and his righteousness was imputed to you. He was delivered up for your trespasses. And He was raised for our justification. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. So my humble encouragement is to not puff up your chest as if to boast in your own self-righteousness towards the wickedness of our day. Paul tells us that you too were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's you and me. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were still dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, Paul says, you have been saved. And raised up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen? You were once the, you were once the object of David's lament. You were once the unfaithful one. You once had lips that flattered and a double heart. You too once made great boasts in your life. You too once lived with such prideful, arrogant lives that scoffed at God and said, Who, who is master over me? I would assume that David's prayer could be directed at many in this room still this morning. Perhaps your pride defines you. Are you living your life in a manner that boasts who is master over me? How would those closest to you answer that question for you? In other words, are you living in rebellion to the Lord as if no one has authority over your words or your actions? Do you manipulate your parents? Do you hate accountability? Do you despise authority of many kinds? Do you have one heart you wear for Sunday mornings and a different heart you put on for Monday mornings? Would you lay down your pride? In your desire to answer to no one, would you recognize the hollow voice of the forked tongue of Satan whispering in your ear from the lake of fire, I am your Lord.
and rightfully do you serve me. Would you repent of your arrogance and turn to the gentle and lowly Savior in Jesus Christ? Because I have the greatest news that your ears can ever hear. That Jesus Christ stands ready to receive you. To receive your weary and troubled soul. He saved mine. He's eager to save yours. He is eager to receive you. Even as he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Friend, your sin is not too great a burden for him to carry. But if you wish to carry it, you will carry it to your destruction. David was burdened to see the proud tongues of his neighbors make great boasts. The depravity around him of those who manipulated others with their lies, who spoke with flattering lips and spoke with double hearts. This drove David to the Lord in prayer, and he counseled the Lord to act. He groaned. His soul was anchored to the glorious reality that he would cry out to his God while understanding that by crying out to his Father, he could be certain that the Lord would act. How does David model for us a response to spiritual decay? By crying out to the Lord in prayer and saying, Lord, look at what's happening. Please act. Please carry out your justice. Make your lament to the Lord and let that anchor your soul to the rock of ages. Psalm 12, lastly, reminds us of another anchor for our souls in triumph troubled times in times of spiritual decay the believer in Christ must also respond by waiting on the Lord who will act David has spoken in verses 1 through 4 but two groups of people will soon learn what Charles Spurgeon so wonderfully observed that nothing moves a father like the cries of his children Nothing moves a father like the cries of his children. And so here in verse Lord, in verse 5, the Lord speaks. Look at the text with me. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. This is the first psalm to contain an answering oracle from the Lord. The liars of verse 2 through 4 have used their words to, <clears throat> to oppress the hurting, specifically the poor. Their oppression has been so great that the poor groan over the devastation that they have experienced. But the Lord is aware. He is aware of the void of godly character being voiced in David's prayer. And the time has come for him to act. And act he will. I will now arise, says the Lord. I have heard your cries. I have heard your groans when you couldn't even cry out to me. Friends, I don't know all of your life stories. But I do know that there are some of you who resonate with the oppressed subjects of David's prayer in ways that would bring all of us to tears if you were to stand on this platform this morning. 
the lies told to you, the lips that have flattered you, the powerful that have plundered you. The Lord has heard your groans. And he will answer those who have in their sin caused you pain. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Verse 5 tells us that the poor who have been plundered, the needy who have been groaning, he's aware. Our cries for help will be answered. The most vulnerable, the most needy, have not and will not ever fall on deaf ears. They have been heard and they will be answered. A.W. Tozer writes with sobriety, the Bible labors the point that just as God is good to those who trust Him, so He is terrible to those who do not. Who is fit to face the Lord? Who is fit? Paul says to us in Romans chapter 2, verse 8, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Friends, again, if you are not a follower of Christ this morning, you've never repented of your sins and turned to Him seeking forgiveness. I urge you to understand that you cannot face Him in judgment and live. Every evil will be dealt with by our Lord. And with that confidence... Joy does come in the morning for those who are in Christ Jesus. Compare this psalm to that of Psalm 18. The psalmist writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. David writes, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. There is a rock of ages cleft for you. Hide yourself in him. The Lord will save his people. David responds to the Lord's answer in verse 6 and 7 of our text. He says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. David's prayer of lament went up to the Lord through the dark clouds of anguish. And faithfulness and justice rained down. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. What a contrast of character. Do you see that in the psalm, this insane contrast? David's lament of those who lack godly character and that of the Lord whose character is pure and flawless. The lying and flattering lips of double-hearted men are met with the purest words of a holy God, rightly jealous for his own glory and just in securing the needy and the plundered poor. 
Those who caused the tears and groans, who made life difficult for the least among them, will feel the rate, the weight of the just wrath of the one who roughly three centuries later would prove again his love for his children so much. We saw what the first Adam did. The second Adam, the better Adam, God the Son, would be raised to answer the cry for help. In our text, God says, I will now arise. Well, God the Son would also arise to answer the cry for help from sinners needing to be made whole. whole. Jesus would be raised on a cross. David's root, as we sung a moment ago, would be raised on a cross to satisfy the just wrath of God the Father. And three days later, he would arise from that dark tomb, victorious over sin and death, our sin and our eternal death. And there he would place us in the safety, eternally, for which we long. Brothers and sisters, I want the Spirit of of God to shape in me an urgency to realize the weight of eternity hangs in the balance as I live and work and interact with the lost around me. Church, we must pray. Oftentimes, we must pray first. But we must pray also that the Lord would save the wicked around us from his wrath. My encouragement is for us to stop fixating on the sins of our neighbor and start devoting ourselves more to the word of our Savior. There are image bearers who today are living such arrogant lives in hopes that no one really is master over them. But we know the truth, and Jesus gives us confidence to share it. He himself promised that he will build his church. Do you know what he says? He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our kingdom offense is better than hell's defense. Let's help set the captives free. While we may lament the sins of our neighbors, let us pray for their salvation. Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God. He told us to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. The message preached both by him and by his apostles was one of a kingdom that is mysteriously both here and yet to come. But the kingdom around us does not seem quite as real as the powers around us. As one theologian wisely noted, we might opine the direction of the country or the world with our friends. We may maneuver the all-too-political power struggles of the office break room, the faculty lounge, or even the Little League ball field. The kingdoms of the moment, whatever they are, seem more important than the kingdom of Christ without our even realizing it. That's why we can be more passionate and ready to talk when we hear someone mention what the government did this week or about what Disney or about what Target is up to, then we are eager when we meet a lost person who needs a friend in Jesus to share with them the good news. Did you hear what Jesus did on a cross 
for you. That needs to be on our lips more. Our neighbors need us. And we need to be aware that, that while we lament where our culture is, understand that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So let's do as Paul instructed, and take up the whole armor of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's pray for words in our mouths to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which we are ambassadors, but also grateful and unworthy recipients. Let's lament like David did, asking the Lord to act. But let's boldly proclaim the wonderful deeds of God the Father who met all of us in our poverty who rescued all of us whom sin and Satan had plundered, who redeemed us in our weakness and rebellion as we were groaning. In Psalm 12, we see the godless with their tongues hanging out, believing in victory. By His stripes, we believe in ours. And so we must be asking the question, who do you say Jesus is? While praying that by God's grace they might answer as Peter did. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are more Pauls in our midst who today are cursing God and persecuting the church. But by God's grace will one day worship at His feet. There are image bearers who today are rebelling against the God who made them and how they were made. And they need our compassion, not our sneers and jeers, but they need the gospel. David's 12th Psalm ends with the realization in verse 8 that on every side the wicked still prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. That, of course, is true. It's true for us. But this truth is limited in its duration, thanks to the promises of God. So long as it is true, let's strive together as one corporate witness called Christ Fellowship Church to live together seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And let's take our prayers to the Lord together with tears streaming down our face on behalf of weak and needy people. Asking the Lord for the Lord to act justly and quickly, just like David did. Trusting that he will arise to rescue and place the poor and needy in the safety for which they long. Do not grow weary, church. Do not grow weary. We are pilgrims here. We have always been pilgrims here. Heaven is our home. But we are not, as another pastor warned, to be pilgrims cringing in protective silos waiting for the sound of trumpets in the sky. We are part of a kingdom, a kingdom we see from afar and a kingdom we see assembling itself all around us in churches like Christ Fellowship. 
church. So let us remember where we came from. And let us remember where we are going. We look forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken. And so let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, the days can be dark. They can be painful. The future can feel uncertain, but it's not. It's certain. Keep living now with the next trillion years in view. Keep abiding in Jesus now. Keep trusting in the one who keeps you trusting. Keep praying and be still enough to hear Jesus' voice. Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one. Lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived. And now I live in him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life, I'll walk till all traveling days are done. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. God, you satisfy us in the morning. You satisfy our every longing. God, we are weary, and we thank you that we can come to you, the rock of ages, that we can rest in you. God, we thank you that you have given us life and life eternal, and you have given us a good news to share. And so, Lord, when we are weary and hurt and broken, God, you have given us yourself. God, you have been weary and hurt and broken. You know what it's like. Lord, I pray, God, this morning, God, that if there are souls in here who are still living in rebellion to you, still thinking in their minds and living their lives as if no one is master over them, God, would you humble them? And would you gently call them this morning to repent their ungodliness and to turn to you in saving faith. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.